Turn to the book of Malachi, the very last book in the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. The book of Malachi is where we're going to be at. The bulk of the message will be from Malachi, but I've got a number of verses that I want to read uh, before we read from the book of Malachi. I think the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems that people have is seeing themselves correctly. We know how we want people to see us, and for the most part, everybody thinks the best of themselves, no matter what their lifestyle is like. They think of themselves very well. Unfortunately, most people have no clue how God sees them. And I dare say that God would not agree with most of us as to what we think of ourselves, what we really are. And it gets down to this, there's only one opinion that counts, and that is God's opinion. So I have to think, what does he think of Mike Allison? Now, I'm not just talking about for salvation, thank God he saved me, but what he thinks about the walk that I have as a believer, as a Christian. Let me give you a few verses, Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. In Proverbs 16, 2, he says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. In Proverbs 21, 2, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Proverbs 30 and verse 12, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. You notice the comment that he makes about how man looks at himself and then he follows that up in each of those verses with a but. Here's how man looks at himself, but gets down to this. That's not how God looks at us. Matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 12, 8, the Bible says, you shall not, ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. In Judges 17, 6, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In Judges 2 and verse 11, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. That's interesting. In one verse, he tells us they were doing right in their own eyes. The next verse tells us, but they were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Proverbs 14, 12 declares, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In Proverbs 16, 25, he says exactly the same thing. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So Israel gets into the promised land. They were told when they got to the promised land not to do what was right in their own eyes. Now, I wasn't saying they weren't to do right. He was saying do right in God's eyes. Now, how do we know what's right in God's eyes? You've got to get in the scripture. And I've been thinking about this a lot, trying to think about what I'm going to be preaching on this Wednesday night uh, over at the Sword of the Lord conference. But how are you going to know what's right in the Lord's eyes if you don't even know what God says in his word? If you can't get settled that all that God wrote in his book is what he wrote, and that's what he means. God is the standard for right. right. 
God is the one who does right all the time in everything. And if I disagree with it, then I'm wrong. But God's right. Bible says to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, is because there is no light in them. To me, it's interesting. You get to the end of the Old Testament, and you'll find at the end of the Old Testament, Israel was down to a people that was right in their own eyes and totally wrong in the eyes of God. And then you go to the New Testament. Keep your hand here in Malachi, but go back to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Because in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you've got the letters of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And at the end of chapter 3, he tells us about this church at Laodicea and what they were like. Notice in verse 17, he says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor, and blind, and naked. Some of the things that he mentioned there are exactly the opposite of what they thought of themselves. So that leads me then again to ask the question, what does God think of me? What does he think of my walk for him? Because he knows me. The psalmist would say, thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising, Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. God knows us. You know, we can, uh, we can snow people. Some people are better at snowing people than other people. Some people know how to act right at the right time. While there's snakes on the inside. That's human nature. There's a lot of that. But the point is, God knows us. It's interesting in Christian circles, not only what we think of ourselves. And by the way, when someone starts talking to me, especially when you first meet them, and they start telling me how spiritual they are, immediately a red flag goes up. Something not right about that. You know, if you're really spiritual... You don't have to try to convince somebody how spiritual you are. It is easily seen. And you can tell when someone's just, you know, blowing smoke in your face uh, most of the time, not necessarily all the time. So God is trying to straighten up Israel here. Matter of fact, this is the last book to be written, written in the Old Testament. And you're going to have what is known as 400 silent years between the Testaments. Now, God had given them his word a long time before that. He had given them a land where they could worship him. And right after the first generation, right after Joshua and his generation died, the Bible says there rose up a generation which knew not God. And we find them accepting the false gods of the people of the land, doing what was right in their eyes, but what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. We get to the end here. We're at the end of the Old Testament. And these people were all messed up in their thinking and we find them blaming God about a number of things. I want you to notice, first of all, they, get this, they doubted his love. If you look at verse 2, he says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, 
wherein hast thou loved us? So he answers, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob. He didn't give Esau the land. He gave Jacob the land. He brought Jacob into the land. That's the children of Israel. He brought them into the land. But there was a growing contagion among the children of God doubting God's love. Now, why on earth would we ever doubt God's love? I mean, he's been good to us in so many ways. But for some reason, man is so wicked that we always think we should have more than what we've got. Uh, you know, one of the things that you learn over the years, and for you young couples, it'd be good for you to get a hold of, the, of this now, is that we all think we deserve more than what we have. And the thing is, we deserve hell. It's by his grace we don't get hell. We don't deserve good at the hands of the Lord, and yet God's definitely been good to us. And the Bible says, Knowest not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. The fact that he's been so good to us ought to make us fall down before him and say, God, forgive me for how sorry I've been in returning my love to you. You see... The reality is the word of God gets us looking at ourselves from God's point of view. Sin and situation gets us looking at things from the world's point of view. Well, I should have more. I mean, I never should be sick. I should never lose a loved one. I should never have a loved one die or get sick. There shouldn't be any tragedies affect my family. I wonder, does God really love me? But one of the things you find out, you know how everybody had it tough growing up? Have you noticed that? Everybody had it tough growing up. Now, today's generation blames it all on their parents. Their parents weren't what they should have been. It's absolutely amazing to me when you hear Christian kids brought up in Christian homes, taken care of, fed, well cared for, having more than so many other kids, more than a lot of these bus kids that we saw in the film tonight. Their parents have loved them. They have provided for them. And yet the problems in their life, they claim, are because of their parents. I didn't come from a Christian home. I know my mom and dad love me. I've never doubted that my mom and dad loved me. But it wasn't a Christian home. And we didn't have much. And they didn't have much. And yes, in my testimony, yes, they were drunkards. They drank. They went out partying a lot. Back then, back in the 1950s and 60s, of course, things, everything was a whole lot cheaper than what it is today. But uh, we had one car. That was all that we had. I, I don't remember going out. And to, we never went to a McDonald's. There weren't any McDonald's. We didn't go out and eat out. We ate at home. Whatever happened to be around, that's what we got to eat. Man, didn't I have it tough? No, everybody was like that. Big deal. We weren't a bunch of sissy criers who blamed everything on everybody else. Quit feeling sorry for yourself and wake up to the fact that your mom and dad loved you. You've got it good. You've had it good. But you're not going to have, you know, everybody's not going to be a TikTok star. Almost said Tinder star. I know better than that now. <laughs> everybody's not going to be that. You're not going to have 300,000 fans. You're not necessarily going to go viral. 
with the latest film you just put up on your social page. We are assured of God's continued love all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was for me. That was for me. Why should we doubt the love of God? He gives us life and breath. He offers us salvation. It's a free gift. He is worthy of all of our lives. I mean, when the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, do you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I'm one of those, I love biographies. And I love biographies of great Christians. I love biographies of missionaries. You know, the bio- biographies that I love the most of missionaries are missionaries that suffered the greatest. I mean, they suffered the greatest. The uh, biography of Adoniram Judson, absolutely my favorite missionary story. And I guess it's because here was a man who went to a country. It took him six months to get there. Actually, it took him over six months, six months to get to India. And then he went from there to Burma. He and his wife get in Burma seven years before he has his first convert, but he stayed faithful. And then they got a little church going together. It wasn't long, by the way, had a few children that died, uh, some in childbirth, some before childbirth. And then finally he had a little, uh, they had a little girl. He ends up getting thrown in prison because even though he was American and not English, Burma was at war with England and they didn't know the difference between English and Americans, and so they threw him in prison for two years. And that seven, let's see, seven, 11 years of ministry there, he could only find a couple of the believers that he had left. And he just gets out from prison, and his wife dies, and a month later, his little daughter dies, and there he is all alone. And what does he do? He stays. He stayed. God ended up doing marvelous work. I look at uh, William Carey. There's another one. Uh, Hudson Taylor. Boy, I love, I love missionary stories like that. Truth is, we've got it pretty easy. And we look at us back here. Really, we are spoiled people. We have so much stuff. So much stuff. But it's that stuff that really keeps us from loving God like we should. And we get to thinking somehow we ought to have more. Because we're such good people. Don't you allow anybody or anything get you to where you doubt the love of God. He's already proved it at the cross of Calvary. The truth is, if God never answered another prayer for me, if he never did another thing for me, I can never repay him for half of what he's done already. We don't deserve to have him answer another prayer. Man, that's part of his grace and mercy. But I see somebody over there, they got a little better than I do. You don't know what they have. You don't know what they're going through. But there are some people who make it through a little bit easier simply because they rest on his love. You see, here's Israel. Here they are in the book of Malachi, and they're doubting the love of God. Not only that, there's a defiled honor. If you look at verses 6 through 8, it says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? See, everything God says, no. I can remember I had a family come one time to me, and 
They said, Pastor, we've joined Madison Baptist Church. We're putting ourselves under your authority. And if you ever see anything in our life that isn't what it ought to be, we want you to come tell us. Now, I'm sorry. As soon as I heard that, a flag went up. You know, the only reason they're telling me that, because they don't think I'll ever find anything. And not that I started looking, I didn't have to, but the first time that I saw something I thought I need to talk to them about, all I heard for the next hour was how, no, no, I was totally wrong. They didn't have a problem. That was kind, I was sweet to them. You know me, I mean, that's just my, that's just my temperament in all things. <laughs> But the problem here was a defiled honor. They didn't honor God as God. They didn't honor God in their worship. They didn't honor him. They would give blind and sick offerings, according to verse 8. And if he offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if he offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? You know, God deserves our best. Somebody sent me uh, a picture. On top of the picture, it was a bunch of these football announcers, you know, Terry Bradshaw, people like that, that broadcast the NFL games. And it's just pictures of them talking to other announcers that are there. All of them are in suits. And then the pictures below that were today's pastors in holy jeans, anything but a suit. And the caption is this, who thinks more of their God? The truth is, weathermen on TV show more honor toward their subject, the weather, by how they dress than most of these preachers do in their pulpits. Man, we are holy people, we ought to look it. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to wear a suit, but you ought to look your best. If all you got is rags, you ought to wear your best rags. Why, man? We're worshiping Jehovah. We're worshiping the God of the universe. Now, it's true. We can wear the best of clothes and not be right with God. But if we are right with God, we ought to want to show God honor. Show him that we honor him. Pardon me if I'm on this yoga pant thing again, but I'm sorry. When you, see, when you see women come to church in yoga pants, there's something sick and wrong about that. That is underwear. Underwear is to be worn under what you wear. It's not to be the top clothing. You get that. Now you get it. You go to Madison Baptist Church, you understand that. But it's amazing how many people go to churches around here and they think that's... That's not proper attire for any place but your bedroom. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. But it's amazing what people don't want to give honor to God about, even in how they look. The Bible says there was no fear of God before their eyes. They despise wisdom and instruction. His word. As a matter of fact, a lot of folks don't even get the word and it doesn't bother them. They don't get the word. As long as we can come, dance around the stage for a little while and clap our hands, man, it doesn't make any difference what we believe. Yes, it does. And it ought to be about honoring him in all things. Turn over, keep your hand here. Turn over to Proverbs just a moment. Proverbs chapter 5. 
This is an amazing passage of scripture. You've got a lot of instruction in the book of Proverbs. You've got an admission here in Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. When he says, <clears throat> verse 11, And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and the assembly. Now the chapter begins in verse 1, with my son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding that thou mayest regard discretion. And now he's admitting that when he was amidst the congregation, he didn't regard discretion. And so he lets us know here in verse 12, I hated instruction, my heart despised reproof, I didn't obey my teachers, I didn't incline my ear to be instructed. Here's the thing, people know what they want, but they don't know what they need. As long as the church does for them what they want, they feel they're in the right place. But the reality is you need a church that gives you what you need, whether you want it or not. Now, you ought to desire the truth, but the truth stings sometimes. I mean, the truth, man, sometimes the truth just gets at you. But Jesus said you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Now, here's where this guy got in trouble. He says, I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation that his sin did not start outside the church house. It started right in his heart in the church house when he didn't want to hear what the preacher had to say. That's where it began. The attitude toward the preaching of the word of God is so key. That's part of honoring God. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, you find the prophets bringing the truth of God's word to a people who didn't want to hear it. Jeremiah was even told when God called them to go out and preach, they're not going to hearken to it. Ezekiel, when he is called to go to the captivity and preach to them, he says, but Ezekiel, they're not going to listen to you. Now, he went out and preached anyway. And evidently, these people of Malachi... They were the same type of people. They had no intention of hearing anything but what they wanted to hear. And only obeying what they wanted to obey, they had no intention of honoring God and his word. Then you've got a despised table. Back here in verse 7, he said, You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? You go down to verse 12, and he says, But ye have profaned it in that... Ye say, the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. And then in verse 13, Yea, uh, ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver. He's saying instead of bringing that which was without blemish, they were bringing blemish things to the offering and just thinking God ought to take it. God ought to be happy with that. 
even though he made it plain that whatever they gave was to be without blemish. It was to be spotless. Even in our service for the Lord, the Bible tells us that we're to uh, offer ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Our walk is to be a holy walk. They approached their worship with contempt. Their privileges at the Lord's table were wearisome. They snuffed at it. Each wanted something in return from God. I got news for you. God doesn't have to buy your worship. Remember he told the woman at the well, he said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. When Cain brought his sacrifice to God, God didn't accept it. Cain got mad at God over it. And God warned him, Cain, doest thou well to be wroth? He said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. If not, behold, sin lieth at the door. And sure enough, sin did lie at the door. He was mad at God because God didn't take his offering. He ended up killing his brother. And when God pronounced judgment on him, you can hear Cain crying, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Well, duh, whose fault is that? We want to blame God when we start reaping for a life that's not sold out to God. When we start dabbling in the world, the Bible says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. So you've got a despised table. In the early church, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, there were people at the church at Corinth who were partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And he says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now I wonder in our churches today, how many partake of the Lord's Supper the same way? You know, when we have the Lord's Supper, and we'll be having it the Lord willing. When did I say? Next week. We'll be having the Lord's Supper next Sunday night. According to the scripture, he says we're to search ourselves. We're to get right about anything that's not right in our life before we partake of the Lord's Supper. God warns us about that because it obviously shows us the picture of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, his broken body, his blood shed for us at Calvary. And we're to, we're to think about it, what he did for us. It's a very serious time. Now, the Lord's Supper does not impart any holiness to us. But it should require respect of us for him. It's one of the reasons why when we partake of the Lord's Supper, I always have the young people go and sit with their parents. Because it's the responsibility of the parents to teach their kids to honor and respect the Lord at the Lord's Supper. That's up to you. And if you've got a child that's rebellious, it's not right with God, you shouldn't let your child take of the Lord's Supper. I believe it's a serious time. I mean, you look at all those verses, beginning in verse 23 through the remainder of the chapter, all that is instruction about the Lord's Supper, what it means, everything. It's up to us to teach our children what that means. So they can get it. So they respect him. But it's not just children that are the problem, is it? We need to be careful how we approach the table of the Lord. Recognize his great work for us on our behalf. So in the book of Malachi, these people had a doubted love. 
a defiled honor, a despised table, and they had a degraded moral standard. Look at this. Look, look over in chapter 2 and verse 17. He says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? Huh. You know, a lot of people like that today. They don't think God judges anything. They think as long as it's them, it ought to be okay with God. Wherein have we worried him? When they call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5, 20 and 21. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Let God be true and every man a liar. I wonder what kind of music we sing in our homes or while we're driving our car. I don't care if we're talking about a 22-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 52-year-old. How much of that is honoring to the Lord, that which is coming out of our mouth, and how much simply exhibits the philosophy of the world. A worldview that's totally contrary to God's way. Whatever God says is evil, is evil. Whatever God says is good, is good. You better find out. He spells it out in the book. You read the book. You find out the things that are wrong and evil and the things that are right. I uh, saw a newspaper, or not one of the newspaper story, pardon me, it was an internet news service it might have been Fox. It might have been something else. I don't, I don't know which one it was. But there was a survey that was done among millennial-aged young adults in America. Over half of the millennial-aged young adults believe it ought to be a crime to use misgendered pronouns for transsexuals. Crime. Do you realize that we've got over half of those people in that age group who think the crime is not getting their pronoun right? These people are sick. There's something amazingly wrong. What's happened to our nation? I'll tell you what's happened. We've kept righteousness only in the church house and not taken it outside. Now that group, they go outside, they yell it and they scream it and a bunch of really people with no spine or backbone just bend over to it and say, okay. And as a result, that's where we live today. You say, you're a Christian. I know there's only two genders. That's all there is. There aren't any more than that. No matter what anybody else says, science will tell you there's only two, period. There's only two. You are one or you are the other. That's it. There's nothing else. He made the male and female. That's it. And the males are he. Do I need to tell you what the females are? No, this crowd's got it. You've got it. But there are people who think that you need to be put away because you've got it. We're in bad shape, buddy, in this country. But do you realize there are a lot of church houses that, that are that way? They don't have it right. God makes it very plain that men are to be the pastors of the churches. Women are not to preach or teach men 
in the church. The Bible's just plain about that. Just plain. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you're wrong. Because God's already spoken on it. This isn't something a church votes on. God has already said it. What God says, it's so, period. In the last days, we'll see promotion of evil as the normal. Well, we're there. Acceptable and good things to do. Jeremiah 6.15, Israel had gotten that way. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I shall visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. A doubted love, defiled honor, despised table, a degraded moral standard. And get this, a depleted storehouse. Notice in chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, will the man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, now, over and over again in this book, but ye say, but ye say, God gives them a truth. They say, but, but, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? So God gives them an answer. In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, that that are that there shall be are not be room enough to receive it. They had robbed him in tithes and offerings. Tithe is the Lord's, and those offerings are his as well. The tithe. A tithe is a tenth. It's what the word means. A tithe means a tenth. That's his. That's right off the top. That's a tithe. I don't take the taxes out first, and I do pay taxes. Preachers do pay taxes. I want you to know, preachers pay taxes, as far as I'm concerned, way too many of them. All right. But nevertheless, that's all right. That's all right. But I don't take it off what's left after the taxes. I take it off the top. The first fruits are God's. So that's what I tithe from. Somebody gives me a gift. If you give me a gift of some money, I'm going to tithe from it. Automatic. I'm going to tithe from it. He gets, he gets the first of everything. I don't want to rob God. I still remember when I was pastoring Battle Creek Baptist Church over by South Pittsburgh out there along Interstate 40. And, of course, nobody meets in that church. Now, there is a Battle Creek Baptist Church that is just down the road from there now, a little community called Battle Creek. And they have a little Baptist church, but it was, that's not the church that I pastored. Mine was the chapel of Highland Park that I pastored. And I went out there one Saturday to go visiting, and I, always, I went up to the church first, right between Fiery Gizzard Cove and Sweetens Cove, and I noticed something just looked strange. But I couldn't put my finger on it till I opened up the door and went inside, and it was a one-room church, and we had an air conditioner in a window, and we had an air conditioner up in the wall, and all I could see was the outside. Somebody had come by during the week and had stolen those two air conditioners. Well, we called the sheriff's department, had them come out. And so we made a, we made a police report on that matter. Uh, we had one of the neighbors drove up. I'd never seen the person before. They said they lived back somewhere down Fiery Gizzard Cove. And, and uh, they said, what's going on, preacher? What's, what's happening? And I said, well, somebody's stolen our, our air conditioners. He said, no way. I can't believe someone would steal from the church. I said, hey, man, it happens every Sunday. <laughs> People come to church, they don't tie, they walk off with God's money. 
I mean, what's an air conditioner compared to robbing God? Now, you know, I have an easy time really preaching that here because I'm preaching right now in a church that gives and gives sacrificially and over and abundantly, and I thank the Lord for you. But a depleted storehouse. There are churches that have to close down, churches that have to stop supporting missionaries because their people just stop giving. And what really amazes me, Brother Popwell, is you find some of these churches where they get on the outs with the pastor, didn't like what he preached, so they're going to show him they're going to keep their tithe. Yeah, that's a good idea. Try that. See how it works for you. Because God's keeping record. You know, just like even our faith promise, which is not a tithe, we don't have you put your name on it because God knows your name. I, I'm, I'm not a collection agency. I'm not going around trying to get people to give what they, what they said, told God they were going to give. I mean, he's the one you got to deal with. Makes it easier on me. I depleted a storehouse. Always be faithful in your giving. By the way, teach your kids how to give as well. And then last of all, a discontented service. Notice in verses 13 and 14. Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. What profit is it? So what have you gotten out of serving the Lord? Do you serve the Lord? Has God not rewarded you in any way whatsoever? I mean, if he never did another thing for me, there's still, I could work hard the rest of my life and I never come close to repaying the blessing he's been to me. But for people to think, well, I've just served the Lord in vain. What has it meant to me? I still have bills. Still got sick. Still had this. Hey, man, you got heaven. Amen. See, one thing's, one thing's sure about healing. God may heal you of a problem right now, or he'll heal you later. I mean, this old body that's getting older and more decrepit, and it's got more pains and more bumps and, and more of these brown spots all over my skin. I don't know what that is. One day, none of that stuff's going to be there anymore. I'll be totally healed. One day, I won't get sick anymore. One day, I'll never have to worry about a hospital. One day, I'll never have to worry about having to have a pacemaker. Not in that new body he's got for me. Healing's coming. My. But a discontented service to think... It's vain to serve the Lord. Now, I know, you know, I think of our kindergarten teachers that we've had over the years. Bless their hearts. Uh, do you realize with the kids that the kindergartners and the first and second grade teachers teach that they don't really get to see the fruit of their teaching for another 10 to 12 years? Before they'll really know what kind of, how it turned out, whether or not the, what they put into those kids stuck at all. And these bus workers, I can guarantee you, they can tell you about bus kids were so precious when they got saved, but then they became teenagers and they end up going off in the wrong way and it breaks their hearts. And yet here they are still working in the bus. God hadn't let them down. It's still worth it. God take care of us. 
We have a wonderful God. We have a great God. I'm glad that I know Christ is my Savior. And I feel sorry for young people brought up in Bible-believing churches who think somehow God has shortchanged them. I tell you what, it would make me wonder, do they even know him? I'm not saying they're not saved, but there's something wrong with a person brought up in a Christian home who has made a profession of faith in Christ, seen God answer prayer, a number of things happen, to feel like God somehow has let you down. We have a wonderful God. Let's not be like the people of Malachi. Man, they had everything wrong about themselves. Church at Laodicea. Ah, we're rich. We're increased in goods. We have need of nothing. And knoweth not that you're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. Let's get a proper view of ourselves so that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, challenge our hearts tonight. If there isn't one here without Christ, then we pray they'd come to Jesus and be saved. I pray for believers tonight. Challenge us concerning our own hearts that we think right and give you the honor and glory that's your due. For we ask it in Jesus' name.